0: Amen. Well, good morning again, church family and those who are tuning in with us. If you're, if you're just now tuning in, uh, we're g- glad to have you here with us. And if you haven't had a chance to visit our website and go to oakparkbaptist.com slash connect card, uh, you can do so, and there you can let us know of any needs you have, ways we can be praying for you, or, or if you'd like a, a pastoral call, or any way that we can serve you, that's the best way to do so. Well, now we're going to turn our attention to the teaching and preaching of God's Word. And I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first gospel and is the first book in the New Testament. We're going to be beginning in Matthew 13. Uh, this is kind of resuming our, our larger series through the book of Matthew. We, we just finished up kind of a four-week hiatus considering uh, the question of where's God when trouble strikes uh, and so if you didn't have a chance to, to listen to those sermons, I encourage you to do so and maybe catch up on our YouTube channel or, or go to our website and you can just download the sermons. But we're going to pick back up here in Matthew chapter 13, and, and we're going to be looking at the first uh, 23 verses this morning, uh, but I'm only going to read, at least at this moment, the first Nine verses. So I uh, hope that you've got your Bibles out and uh, eager to dive into God's Word. Let's read what Matthew records for us, beginning in Matthew 13, uh, verse one. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The question I want you to consider as we dive into this text is, what comes to your mind when you think of a mystery? Uh, maybe you think of uh, crime shows and and murder mysteries. Um, I can tell you that what's being binge watched in our house uh, is the Hallmark Movie and Mysteries channel, and I'll let you guess who it is that's watching uh, those shows. Uh, but maybe that's what you think of when you think of a, a mystery, or, or maybe Dateline murder mysteries. Uh, I, I tend to find myself watching some of those um, as well. And we think of these puzzles maybe that, that have to be solved, and, and particularly uh, maybe in a crime show of some sort. Or maybe when you think of mystery, you think of the unexplainable, kind of the phenomenon of the supernatural, or, or some of the shows that try to explain uh, where the pyramids uh, came from and how they were built. And, and so sometimes we talk about mysteries as puzzles, uh, things that are difficult that need to be unraveled, or, or maybe we think of them as the unexplainable. Well, here in our text, what I just read in verses nine or verses one through nine, Jesus categorizes as a mystery. He calls it actually a secret uh, in verse eleven, wherein he says to the disciples, "To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom." That that word translated secrets is mysterion, uh, and you can just hear in that Greek word mystery, can't you? What he's talking about here is that uh, through the gospel, through his preaching ministry, in the parables, uh, there is a revelation occurring. There is a revelation of the mysteries of God. But but these mysteries that Jesus is speaking of here, they're not like puzzles. They're not like puzzles that have to be put together and, and figured out, nor are they the unexplainable phenomena. Now, these mysteries refer to God's kingdom purposes, God's kingdom plans, which were previously hidden, but now have been revealed in the preaching of the gospel of Christ. They, they've been revealed in the Gospels. They've been revealed in Christ, and they are revealed to those, as we'll see here, who have eyes to see and ears. To hear that's that's what Jesus is getting at in verse nine when he he tells this parable and then he concludes by saying he who has ears let him hear now that's a, a weird thing to say because presumably most of them had ears at least one of them uh, so so what is he talking about he's talking about something that that goes beyond maybe Uh, something that meets the the eye, something that's beyond the surface level. And that's really what's behind parables. Parables are um, simple stories uh, that that, that borrow um, common language, but they speak to greater spiritual realities. They kind of have a dual meaning, if you will. And so in these parables, and in fact, chapter 13's filled with them, seven different parables that we're going to look at over the next three Sundays. But these parables, they speak to the mysterious, the mysterious nature of the kingdom. The parables of the kingdom speak to the mysterious nature of the kingdom because the truth that they contain lies hidden beneath the surface. And so you have to dig into them. He's soliciting, he who has ears, spiritual ears, if you will, let them hear what I am saying. The truths that they have, uh, that they contain, are buried, if you will. You have to dig into them and unearth their treasures. And this theme continues throughout the the chapter because um, Jesus will liken the kingdom to a mustard seed that's planted into the ground. Or the kingdom is like leaven in dough. It's consumed by It's hidden, if you will. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, Jesus will say. And so when we come to Jesus through His Word... We're to come, He's soliciting, with believing hearts, with believing eyes, with believing ears, so that we can be given a genuine understanding and insight into the mysteries of His kingdom. And when we understand the mysteries of God's purposes, these revealed kingdom plans, Jesus says it will transform us from the inside out. Brothers and sisters, what a time to live in, especially in light of this pandemic uh, where where the kingdoms of this world are wobbly, aren't they? That we can see the, the, the foundations of this world crumbling, but yet we have an opportunity to preach the unsearchable riches of the kingdom of Christ, a kingdom that, by the way, cannot be shaken. What a glorious opportunity that we have where the darkness has gotten darker, but we get to shine the bright light of the kingdom of heaven. We have the great opportunity to to point people to the city that is on a hill. But the question remains, I think, and as I was considering this, how do we point people to something they cannot see? How do we point people to something that they cannot touch? And that really gets behind the parables of the kingdom or the mysteries of the kingdom. We, this is a kingdom that you, you can't really see with your physical eye, but you need spiritual eyes to see. So how do we help people see it? And maybe you're asking the question, well, forget other people at this moment. How can I see this kingdom? Well, I don't want us to fall into discouragement. I don't want us to fall into despair. In fact, I'm hoping this this sermon and and what we learn from Jesus here actually encourages our hearts. But there can be a temptation that that we get discouraged in ministry. We get discouraged in our, our Christian walk because the things of God, kingdom ministry, it's difficult to measure them because they are spiritual realities. And so the question that I really want to pose to us this morning is how do we remain faithful? And maybe this is a better way to think of it. How do we uh, become motivated to preach and share the gospel of the kingdom that cannot be shaken, a message that desperately needs to be heard in this world? How can we be motivated to share that message when to the world... The kingdom that we proclaim looks like weakness. The message that we proclaim looks like foolishness. With these questions in mind, I want us to think carefully this morning about the message of the kingdom, the advancement of the kingdom, and the reception of the kingdom so that we do not become discouraged in our gospel efforts, but remain faithful to Christ and His gospel until He returns. That's really what I'm going after. That's actually what I think this text is is here for us. To, To help motivate us, encourage us in gospel efforts, but also to encourage us to remain faithful to Jesus and hold fast to this kingdom that is sure, that is unshakable, but yet at this moment we cannot see. And so if we're going to be faithful to proclaim the message of the kingdom, proclaim the good news of the kingdom, we're going to be faithful to hold tight to it, we better make sure that we understand the message of the kingdom. And it's this message that Jesus speaks about, or at least implicitly, when he talks about seed being sown. He's talking about the gospel being sown in the hearts of individuals, the hearts of of men and women. You see this a little more clearly in verse 19 when Jesus begins to explain the parable. And he says, when anyone hears the word or message of the kingdom, he's, he's setting up this context. And it's this message that Jesus reveals to his disciples, and yes, the disciples here are, are likely the twelve, but we, well, we who believe should include ourselves among this number. We are those who sit at Jesus' feet. We are those whom Jesus is walking with and talking with in His Word. And He reveals to His disciples the message, the secrets, if you will, of the kingdom. And we see this in Jesus' answer to the disciples When they they begin to ask him, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? And in verse 11, Jesus tells them, to you, it has been given to know the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom. If you jump over to verses 16 and 17, Jesus says something very similar to, to us. He says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and didn't see it. And to hear what you hear, and didn't hear it. As disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we now, if we are truly converted, we have been given eyes to see and hear. And we can see and hear what the prophets and saints of the Old Testament couldn't see and hear. Now what is it? What is it that we now see and we now know and we now hear that all the saints of the Old Testament, those great heroes of the faith, they didn't see or hear. What Jesus is getting at is that we have been given insight into the message of God's coming kingdom through a crucified and risen Messiah. We have been given insight. We now understand what they could not understand, which was hidden in types and shadows in the Old Testament. We now see with clarity what God is doing and how He will rescue the world, how He will redeem the world, and how He will renew the world. He is doing it through the cross and resurrection of Christ. And so this message that Jesus is speaking about being sown in the hearts of men and women is a message about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and how we must respond to it. And so from the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been presented to us as the King. The King who is coming from the line of David. He is the promised one who has come and as the angels told Mary and Joseph, he is the one who is coming to rescue his people from their sins. And so the whole gospel of Matthew, in this case, is the message that we need to proclaim, that we need to get out. But as with all the gospels, the other three, this message, and we can't, we can't miss this part, concludes with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because it is in the death, burial, and resurrection that, that Christ, that his, God's plans have climactically been made known. That both the judgment and the justice of God have been satisfied on the cross. And Christ has defeated Satan's sin in death through His resurrection and because Jesus has died and he is resurrected he has secured for us an inheritance in his kingdom now what again what a time to share this message i know we none of us wish this coronavirus or pandemic upon us we want it to end i pray that it ends today but let me tell you there is some excitement that i have Because as I'm talking to my neighbors, everyone is talking about this crisis and it is a a springboard for all of us to be able to talk about a kingdom that cannot be shaken, to be able to give it an answer for the hope that we have to give a different perspective on where our hope and our treasure and our joy is found. We have an incredible opportunity to share the gospel in a way that prior to this, most of us did not have opportunity to do. Perhaps one of the reasons God has sovereignly permitted this virus is to grab the world's attention and prepare people to hear the good news of His kingdom. But the question is, do you know the message of the kingdom well enough to share it? Well enough to share it. Because sharing this message is the means by which God's kingdom advances. The advancement of the kingdom occurs every time we proclaim or share this message, and get this, even when that message is rejected, the kingdom is still advancing. Now, you might be saying, all right, how, do, how can that be? Because it seems like when people reject the gospel, um, that's, that's, that's not winning, that's losing. Well, in some sense, we, we don't want people to reject the gospel. We don't want people to reject Jesus, but what we're learning here is Jesus is is giving us insight into God's purposes and plans through the parables is that even when people reject the gospel, God's purposes are being accomplished. And Jesus helps us understand this in verses 10 through 16 as he begins to explain the purpose of the parables to his disciples. You see in verse 10, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, it will be helpful for us to just consider why are they upset or why are they perplexed, that might be a better idea, that Jesus is speaking in parables. Because I think for most of us, the way we think of the parables and the reason that Jesus shared parables was because Jesus was trying to bring the cookies on a lower shelf, if you will. And what I mean by that, he, he's speaking in a way that is just down to earth and, and simple to understand so that everybody can can understand the gospel. But the disciples don't see it that way. They actually think that this is rather cryptic. And, and if you've never heard the parables... And maybe you you, you haven't, and this will be the first time for you. Well, as I read that story about a sower and various types of soils and, and thorns and thistles and rocky ground, you're like, what in the world is this about? Because if that's all you hear, that's not very helpful. And so the disciples come to him and say, well, why are you doing this? Why have you all of a sudden gotten really cryptic with everybody? And Jesus begins to explain the purpose, if you will. He says, To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Oh, wasn't really seeing that coming. Verse 12 For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Let's just stop right there. What is Jesus saying? The reason I speak in parables is so they can't understand. You might be scratching your head and saying, I I thought that was kind of not the purpose. I thought the gospel was supposed to go out so people could understand. Yes. What Jesus is getting after here is that he speaks to the crowds in parables in order to accomplish two things, a twofold purpose. And that twofold purpose is to conceal and reveal. So he's accomplishing two things. So on the one hand, and we see this in the disciples, contrasted with the crowds, to you it's been given, to them has not been given. On the one hand, the parables conceal the message if we think about the crowds. It conceals the message of the kingdom. And who are the crowds and what? why is it concealing to them? Well, because their hearts are hardened, Jesus says. They have heavy ears that do not hear. They have, they have shut their eyes eyes so that they cannot see. Whereas on the other hand, the parables reveal to those who have receptive hearts, receptive eyes, receptive ears. And so this is why in verse 9, Jesus concludes the parable by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. He's inviting them to say, okay, there's more than what's go- what you've said and he's inviting them into an intimate relationship with him where he'll disclose more. He's teasing them, if you will, in a good way. I'm showing you something, intriguing you, but in the manner by which he's teaching and and revealing these truths, those who don't want to seek him out, well, they won't. And those who do, will. And so in, in one lesson, Jesus conceals And reveals. But for those who don't want Jesus and aren't interested in the things of God, the good news of the gospel of salvation actually further hardens their hearts. It further blinds them. It further deafens those who are not receptive to it. Those who do not have a heart to seek after God will actually be turned off by the good news. And so in the words of Isaiah, Jesus goes on, you will indeed hear but never understand, verse 14. And you will indeed see but never perceive. Why? For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. What, what is this message? This message calls people to turn from their spiritual waywardness so that they can be healed. What, what does that healing entail? Well, we know in the message it's the forgiveness of sins and it's the blessedness of the kingdom where, where our bodies will re- be renewed. We'll experience a resurrection like Christ and all our wounds and all our, our, our heartaches will be, will be healed and all brokenness will be put back together. But what we're learning here is that most will not heed the message. Why? Because it's too unbelievable. And so the parables are teaching us something about the gospel, particularly thinking about the cross and resurrection. The manner by which Jesus is teaching, that both conceals and reveals, is similar and actually, the same phenomenon happens when we preach the gospel. It both conceals to the heart at heart, and it reveals to those who will believe. And so it's the same way today. If you can believe that salvation would come through a crucified Messiah, a crucified king, who would want to participate with him? And with human eyes? And and human ears, you hear that message, you say, well, that that sounds silly, that sounds foolish, that sounds unbelievable. Who would follow Jesus? It ended up killing Him, what He was preaching. And Yet, what we learn throughout the Scriptures and what Jesus is teaching us here is that God finds a particular pleasure through this unbelievable message to save His people. He finds pleasure in in the the message of the cross to to be an offense to the world and save his people. And so what the telling of the parables in this over the next few weeks are, are going to illustrate for us is that the gospel message will be foolish to those who will not believe, and for them it actually will affect pronouncement of judgment upon them. See, in the cross, what do we see? Both the justice and salvation of God being satisfied, the judgment and salvation, two sides of one coin. all that's happening in the cross. Well, the same thing occurs when we preach. As Paul says, it's death to death to some, and others it's life to life. It's actually accomplishing two things. It's bringing judgment already upon the world, leaving them in their sins if they do not believe this gospel. But to those who believe, it's bringing salvation in this world. It has a twofold purpose. And so in this sense, when we're preaching or sharing the gospel with people, God's kingdom purposes are advancing, and in this case, leaving the unbeliever in their sins to trust in their own wisdom. This is what Jesus is getting after in verse 12. This is kind of a, a cryptic saying, but hopefully I can help us understand it. Verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given. Who's the one who has, has what? The secrets of the kingdom, knowledge of the kingdom. The one who's given that is going to actually have abundance of knowledge, and we continue to grow in our understanding of the kingdom. We never can plumb its depths. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Well, okay, what does that mean? Well, those who are given the gospel, they are given knowledge. And what that knowledge has been given, they do not take advantage of it. It will be taken away. And so you can see that as they reject the gospel, God gives them over, or can, Give them over to their hardness of heart, to their blindness of sight, to their dullness of hearing. Whatever uh, uh, light that they had been given, they are then judged by Him re- withdrawing that light. But the opposite's true for you and me. But to those who believe this message, it isn't foolishness and weakness. No, it is wisdom and the power of God. In our case, the gospel actually reveals the kingdom of God. We now see Christ, not by our eyes, but by hearing the Word. In fact, Jesus tells His disciples the reason they understand the kingdom message is why? Not because they were smarter. Not because they were able to figure out the puzzle and they were able to figure out the riddle of the, of the, uh, the parable of the sower. No, He says it has been given to you. It has been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom. Whereas to others, it has not. Who gives this knowledge and revelation? Well, This is God. God does that. And so with the same message being preached, one person may believe where another person does not. And Jesus tells us the difference, at least kind of looking behind the scenes at the spiritual realm, The difference between them is that one was given sight or the other one was not. So ultimately, Jesus is showing us that that the way that the gospel comes out, though preached to all, is God in His purposes has, has so arranged it that only He can get the glory that we can sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, to save a wretch like me. This is amazing grace. I can't claim that I have somehow been smarter than anybody else. That I have somehow figured it out where somebody else didn't. No, I am overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God that He gave me eyes to see. And so it is sweet to my soul, the gospel is. But as a mystery, Jesus gives us some insight into the hidden realm of God so that we can rest assured that His kingdom purposes are always advancing no matter the the result. Whether there's rejection or reception, kingdom purposes are being accomplished. However, not every response is the same, is it? And so Jesus, in the rest of of the passage, begins to explain this parable to give us... Uh, Again, insight into spiritual realities and insight into the heart matters, if you will, behind the reception of the kingdom. And so when we come to verses 18 through 23, Jesus now in private, not in public, begins to explain the meaning of the parable of the sower. And in so doing, he both calibrates our expectations for gospel ministry, but also, get this, if you're not paying attention, get this, He beckons us, each of us, to consider how, what kind of reception have, have we had to the gospel. What kind of heart have we shown toward the gospel? And in so doing, Jesus presents four responses to hearing the gospel. The first response is the response of indifference. So when we're preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, These are the various responses that that will occur. And he's giving us insight into it. The first one is indifference. Because this heart, Jesus likens, to a hardened heart. A heart that's like a worn out, beaten path. You see that in verse eighteen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So you can kind of go back to the original parable and you can line this up. And, and he's explaining to you. He's giving you. He's unveiling the mystery of the parable. And he says, in in this case. When you're preaching or you're sharing the gospel, there are some that are going to completely disregard it. It is heard by their physical ears, but immediately dismissed. And now we've we've probably all experience this in some measure or fashion. We, we've maybe shared Christ with someone or, or we've seen responses, even on a, a macro scale from the world, where there is an indifference to the message. And that, and that indifference can, can show up in maybe hostility, um, a, a mocking and, and a ridicule of those, and they go on the offense to kind of smash that message. But then what I, I more often experience is just the polite indifference. You know what I mean by that? You've shared Christ, you want to tell them more, and they listen, and they just kind of give you that half smile and blank stare, and when you're done, they're, they're done. Okay, thanks for sharing, and they move on. And Jesus is describing what's going on, what's, what's, what's happening at the heart level with these people. And and in their their case... Jesus says Satan has such a grip on their heart that the gospel just bounces right off of it. He doesn't penetrate it at all. And so, so the, who, who is this person? This is, this is the person who, who might be of a different religion, whether that is of something of Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or, or some of the cults who you think of, of, a, of Jehovah's Witnesses or, or, or Mormons whatever it may be, they, that maybe they they've bought into secularism and, and secular humanism or some other ideology that, that is the lens by which they see the world and they make sense of the world. And so when they hear the gospel, it doesn't compute. And, and in their case, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this age has blinded the hearts of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. So it's just like dropping seed on this pulpit. It's just not going to grow anything. There's no soil. It's hard. It's like a worn out, beaten path. In their case, they are fully in, in the way of the world. they fully bought into another religion, if you will. They have a different mindset. They're not open to any new gospel. Now, this doesn't mean they don't understand the message at all. I know Jesus says here, and does not understand it, verse 19. But that doesn't mean they don't understand the content of the gospel. They may be able to say, oh yeah, at Easter Christians celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. But it's, they don't understand it because they see it as weakness and foolishness. They don't have a genuine understanding. They have a false understanding of it. And So Jesus says they don't really understand it so they don't believe. That's the first response. The second response is is what I call the response of shallowness. And you see this in verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately He falls away. Jesus uh, likens the, um, the seed that's fallen on rocky soil to one who hears the gospel, immediately responds with joy, but in their case, the gospel has no root in themselves. What does it mean? It hasn't... Dug down into their heart. It's just kind of laying there on the surface of it. it hasn't been snatched away. It's just there. It has no depth to their understanding. And so in this case, the gospel hasn't taken hold in their heart. It's a shallow understanding, it's a superficial response to the gospel. And how do we know it's superficial? Well, Jesus tells us because when trials come, or persecution on a cause of the gospel, they actually stumble over the gospel, or they, they fall away. And so this person initially seems converted. That's the person who comes on Sunday morning, and I have experienced this numerous times. Hey, pastor, I believe I want to join your church, but by Monday I can't get a hold of them. I don't know what happened. Or they were here for a season and, and they went through the membership classes and they, they seemed joyful and they were a part and they were baptized and then boom, they're gone. What happened? Jesus says, had a superficial understanding. They had no root. Their heart didn't lay hold of this gospel. And likely, They understood some things about the gospel that they didn't have a full understanding, and so not having a full understanding, they didn't really understand it either. All they likely heard is is they've heard the gospel presented to them or the benefits of the gospel, but none of the costs. And and that doesn't mean that those costs weren't presented to them, but they just had selective hearing. They they just kind of are flighty, if you will. They're just kind of cruising on the surface. Oh, that sounds good. I'll try that out. But they don't hear the call to discipleship or that following Jesus will require you to deny yourself. You're gonna to have to battle against temptation, you're gonna to have to war against the sin that is that is waging against your soul. They didn't hear that following Jesus entails turning your back on the world. And so all maybe they heard was, okay, I can believe in Jesus. There's all these sweet people here, and 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 I I can have all my sins forgiven and I won't go to hell. That sounds great. I'll believe. I'll, I'll follow through. But but they didn't understand the full entailment of discipleship. And so the moment things get difficult, and Jesus puts into two categories of trials and persecution, but, but I think where I've seen this kind of flesh out, it's often, um, in our context, not persecution. But it's the, daily grind of fighting sin. They begin to realize "Mm, it's not worth it to them to leave what the world offered them. Or the sin that they they held to so dearly. Maybe they they came here and and they were looking for something. They found it for, for a season, but then it just didn't last. It wasn't as good, as tasting as what the world had for them. And so they immediately go back to the world. Or maybe it's that certain demands of the gospel begin to be placed upon them, and they're like, hey, that's a little bit more than what I was bargained for. Uh, I, I don't really want to be baptized. I see people claiming to be Christians all the time, and yet you find out that they won't even be baptized. This is the shallow ground person. They join, or they, they might be baptized and they join the church, but, but they, they fall away. And when they, they're in the church for a season, they begin to, to, to be prodded along to, to get in discipleship and, and community groups to be poured in. And they, they're encouraged, hey, it's more than just sitting here on Sunday morning and listening to a sermon and some songs. No, actually, we're asking you to, to care for people and begin to join us in this kingdom work. And I was like, oh, that's more than I, I bargained for. I just wanted to sit back and relax. And once they begin to realize that, it, they fall away or they're they're offended by the gospel. That's really the idea. Then there's a third response. Third response is likened to seed sown among thorns. You see that in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. In this case, the gospel seems to be received. It seems to have taken root, at least from our perception. But ultimately, and over time, it is crowded out by other cares and worries. This is the heart that is, as I call, uncertain, the response of uncertainty. And what I mean by that is this is the heart that that tries to maybe ride the fence and, and get the best of both worlds rides the fence against the best of both worlds. And I'm not even sure that that those who go through this are even self-aware to know what's going on. But this is what Jesus says elsewhere and previously in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other. So in other words, one of them was going to prevail. And in this case, who prevailed? The cares of the world. The deceitfulness of riches. But unlike the other two responses, this response takes a little bit longer to perceive. And I think from a Christian standpoint, and those of us who've been walking with Jesus for some time, those of us who are very involved in the church, this is the one that shocks us the most. There's a sense we're used to people kind of coming and going. There's always a revolving door. There's always the back row seaters who who come for a season and and then they're gone. I'm not really calling out all of you who sit on the back row, but that tends to be the, the the realm by which that happens. They come and go, and, and we're just used to that. But it's the person who was here, and it was the person who was serving, and we 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 sang with them. They were in our community group. We we knew them, so we thought maybe this person was in leadership. Maybe they were a pastor. This is the one that always catches us off guard. And and as we're going to see, it will continue to happen. This is the Judas, if you will, the one that no one sees. Because this one catches us off guard because it appears to be some growth in their life. They're involved. They've stuck around. They've, in some sense, stood the test of time. They've been here for years But at some point, it becomes evident that it wasn't gospel growth going on. It was growth and a love for the things of this world. It becomes evident when they walk away, their heart wasn't with Jesus. It wasn't in the kingdom to come, but their heart was elsewhere. And I see this happening on kind of two fronts. Either a love for the world that leads them to despair, and they leave. Or a love that leads to deceit and the the hope of riches and success and they don't need the church. What do I mean by that? This person confesses Christ, joins the church through baptism, fully integrates in the life of the church. And like I said, they're serving. they've, They've risen to high levels of leadership, perhaps. But we find out there was something else gripping their heart. And for some, this, this shows up this way. Life gets difficult, maybe even in this season. Money gets tight. They lose influence and power. Things change in the church. What, what they are really after was power, and they lost it, or friends leave. And, and whenever, whatever it was that they now have lost, well, now they don't need the church because the church isn't meeting that need or life isn't going well. This is similar to the superficial one who receives the gospel with joy but immediately falls away. This one just is all over a longer period of time. And so things get bad. Things don't work out for them. Trouble begins to overwhelm them like weeds choking out seed. Their heart is full, but just not with the gospel. And it wasn't evident until the thorns and thistles began to sprout. That's kind of the imagery here. And it begins, they, they endure so much pain or that of loss that they, they, they go into despair and they say, Jesus, you've done nothing for me, and they leave. And you're, and you're dumbfounded because you thought, I thought they were walking with Jesus. They, they articulated the things that, that we all articulate. And you find that they really didn't believe it. Then there's the opposite side of the same phenomenon. Actually, same love. Just this time they get what they want. The other person loses everything they want. The real love of their heart, they lose it all, so they they, they quit following Jesus. This one gets it all, and they don't need Jesus anymore. It's the exact opposite. They begin to taste success in the church, and they long for the power and the riches of the fame. They came here for some other reason, and they got it, and maybe the church to them becomes a springboard to something far greater. And then there's almost a sense in which they don't need the church anymore. They've obtained all that they want. and So they leave the church for better things, or they become too wise for the gospel. It shocks us. This is the, this is the pastoral leader who, who abandons the ministry for some sinful pursuit. This is the person who is walking with Jesus or seemingly looks like it, but then they, they, they leave it all for another. And it catches us off guard. And Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. While these first three responses, they're each different in their own way, but there's actually a common denominator across them all. And what's the common denominator? They hear the gospel, but it never is gripped by their heart. In what Jesus is talking and trying to help us understand, that they truly don't understand it. They only grasp it on a human level. And that's not the level that you have to understand. You have to grasp it on a heart level. And so in a real sense, they never saw its wisdom. They never truly understood its power. They never saw Christ as their treasure. Something else was their treasure, whether they realized it at the very beginning, I don't want that, or whether it happened after a slight momentary uh, superficial decision, or whether it happened over time. All of them come to the same conclusion, yeah, Jesus really isn't worth it. And in the end, they're more in love with the present world than in love with Jesus and the world to come. And so as we consider this, you're like probably saying, hey Chase, I thought this sermon was supposed to encourage us to, to greater gospel efforts. Ah, sounds like these are all losing efforts. we got to keep in mind, there's twofold purpose going on when we share the gospel. But what we see here is that Though it seems like there's more types of these responses, aren't there? Seems like it. What we're going to see in the final example is that, but the gospel will prevail. We have hope that, that Jesus tells us our labors are not in vain. Some of the seed will land on good soil, and the soil's obviously referring to your heart. And it and it will land, it'll be gripped by their heart, and it will multiply it will multiply. And so this leads us to the last response, the, the response of what I call commitment. There's an understanding of the gospel that says, I'm all in. And that's going to become very clear as we get later in the, in the, in the series on, on these parables. Like the one who finds a treasure buried in a field, I am selling all my assets, everything I can to obtain this treasure. I'm all in. This is that art response. So this last response is likened to seed that lands on good soil. And in this case, it's the, it's the one I think we should be hearing from the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the one who hungers and thirsts for God. Their, their desire, their longing is for the righteousness of the kingdom. Or, or blessed is the one who, who is meek and who mourns, and who is poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, because they are longing for it. They hate their sin. They they don't want this world. They want Christ. They're they're longing. How blessed are they? And so when they hear the gospel, what does it do? It, it, It takes hold of the heart. They leap for joy. And in this way, they understand it. They see the gospel as eternally valuable. They, they see the value of Christ's death and resurrection. It's not this just generic symbol of love. No, it is their atonement for sins. They have a depth and a root. They understand that Christ died for them and satisfied the wrath of God on their behalf, that he rose again, triumphing over the powers of darkness for them, and that he has secured for them an eternal inheritance in himself. They understand the gospel. They see its value. And they see the eternal value of the kingdom to come. And they see, oh, I would much rather have that kingdom than this crumbly one. Oh, I would much rather have heaven than earth. They do not want to store up treasures on earth because they can see the moth and rust are corroding those treasures. Thieves come in and break and steal. And they see, all these things, they never truly matter. Do you see the contrast to those of the world? The world is addicted to the goods of this world. They are putting all their hope in like a drug addict who literally is wasting away. They keep going back to it. But we, boom, the lights are on. When we hear the gospel, our heart comes alive. It's no longer that hard and stony ground. No, it is a heart of flesh, and it now begins to beat vibrantly for the gospel. So we don't want to go the way of the world anymore. That doesn't mean we don't struggle. But our heart's desire is that we don't like it when we get entangled with the things of the world. We don't want a superficial knowledge. We want to dive deep into the Scriptures. We don't want our heart entangled in this world. No, rather, we want to set our heart to know the Word of God and and, and see the results of God's abounding growth in our life. And And Jesus describes that as a yield of harvest. You see that as we come to verse 23. For what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the Word, and this is the one thing that's different than all the rest, and understands it. There's a true genuine understanding, a transformational understanding, if you will, because he goes on in he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty There's life change, and what Jesus says is those who are genuinely transferred to the gospel, there will be life change now now, what does this harvest represent this is Kind of difficult because he doesn't really explain that part. It still kind of remains mysterious. And I think we should be thinking things like the fruit of the Spirit, but not just not just limited to that. We might think of, um, of those who are making disciples or multiplying ourselves, but I, I wouldn't limit it to that either. And I think to get too specific here would, would maybe um, fall into the realm of speculation beyond what we can safely say. But what I do think we can know, and kind of taking the parable as a whole, seeing the difference between, um, say, this person and the third soil that looked like they were growing, but what what didn't they do? They, They proved unfruitful. What ended up sprouting out in their life over time became evident, and it wasn't the gospel. So what do these harvests represent? think in, in essence what Jesus is saying here is that these people's lives are truly transformed by the gospel and it's evident in some measure. And they last, that's the key difference, they last until the harvest. I'm jumping into some of the other parables, but, but Jesus is anticipating the day when what the kingdom truly is will not be fully known until the harvest comes. Until the reaper comes. And we'll see who was true and who was not. Sometimes that day comes sooner. Sometimes that day doesn't come to the end. But at the end of the age, when Jesus returns, it's going to be evident who did the will of God by loving Him and loving their neighbor as their self. This is the law of Christ. This is what Jesus has been pressing through the the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. There is a heart transformation that produces a changed life. But if you do it the other way around, you clean up the outside of the cup, well, eventually what's on the inside will bleed through. And you'll be shown to be what you truly are. But, But for those of us who have truly come to know Him, who value, who savor his word, who who find it more desirable than than gold and and, and much honey, sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb. He says, to you, you will be satisfied in the kingdom. So what this parable teaches about the kingdom is that there are many obstacles, many frustrations, if you will, yet there will be growth over time. So don't be discouraged. Know what's coming. Know the various responses. God's kingdom purposes are continuing, both to conceal and reveal, to judge and save, to bring death and life. He is doing that through the message that we proclaim. Yet, rest assured that there will be growth. There will be fruit. This farming, this seed that you are planting, this labor that you are doing, it is not in vain. And I think that's instructive for us. All these illustrations are borrowed from the farming world. And so what Jesus is telling us, it takes patience. It takes steadfastness. The work of the kingdom, it's not quick, it's not flashy, it's slow and steady, yet in the long run there will be a harvest from our labors. And that's where we get hope. That's where we get hope. So church family, those who are listening in, don't don't grow weary in doing good of seeking to share the gospel with your neighbors, of raising your children in the, faith, in the fear and admonition of the Lord, because the gospel will prevail. Really, the only question to be asked is, do you have eyes to see it and ears to hear? Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, what we have been given, let us not despise. Um, And Lord, I pray, uh, no doubt there are those who are hearing who are one of those soils, one of the first three. And Lord, I pray that you would use that to awaken them. the good news is, is that we all were in one of those cases. And yet you were merciful to us and you did not take away you did not give us over, but you, you continued to till that soil of our heart until the gospel took root. And so, Lord, we're thankful. That you did that work in us, and I pray that you would do that work in whoever is listening now, watching now, who 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 maybe has a superficial understanding of the gospel. Lord, may you you make that evident to them and they would dig roots. Or, or someone who is allowing the cares, the worries, and the deceitfulness of, of the world to to consume and overwhelm their heart, that they they find themselves actually loving the world and not Christ, and they're they're becoming aware to that. And you grant them repentance. And Lord, for us who who have believed, Lord, I pray that the root system of the gospel would begin to dig deep into our heart and you would begin to give us new desires and new tastes and and, and longings and, and thirst for your kingdom and your righteousness. And Lord, that you would give us fruit from our labors not only in our individual lives, but even collectively as your church, that you would give us fruit from our labors that are various kinds as we're trying to share the gospel with our community. Lord, may you use this time of great difficulty and trial to awaken sinners. And may their hearts now be prepared to receive and believe. Lord, would you do that? And may we reap a harvest, not for our name, not for 1111 Allison Lane, but no, for the kingdom that is to come. May many come to know you and love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.